As you go about your daily life, it can be hard to express virtues that you want to reflect. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, all are hard to properly show and reflect in our modern lives. The news, social media, and the culture of our day all seem to conspire together to keep us in a constant state of defensiveness and agitation. It can be really hard to be the person you want to be in the face of a world that seems constantly in a state of deterioration. This is Christ is the Answer, and I'm your host today, Robin Monks. Today, I'd like to invite you as our pastor, Randy Crozier, talks about these virtues and the most important virtue of all, love. Here's Pastor Randy. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. It's quite a lovely list, isn't it? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are some outstanding, outstanding virtues. He goes on further to say, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, so over and above compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness, because those are the other two that are mentioned there as you go down through. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So ahead of all of those marvelous qualities, put on love. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ this morning, as we look into your word, God, that you'd help me, Lord, to be concise and get to the point. And Father, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would work in our hearts and lives and cause us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, Lord, amen and amen. So there are many virtues that Paul mentions here, just in this list alone. If you go to other places where Paul writes, you can expand the list yet again. There are lots of different qualities or virtues that are identified by Paul throughout the length of the Word of God, throughout his epistles in particular, that he recommends to us, that he says are God's will in relation to us as his followers. He wants to see them manifest in us. But after Paul offers this really tremendous list, he then says this, that the chief virtue, that the leading quality, the number one crowning virtue is love. And love, he says, binds them all together. In the absence of love, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know anything about bacon, but I, I, I get, I get the, uh, the gist over the years from watching Paula that if you don't put the eggs in, it doesn't stick together really well. Or, uh, hey, listen, you can throw all the flour in this. I do know this. I don't know about eggs for sure, but I do know this for certain. You can throw all the flour and all the sugar and all the salt and all the other stuff, all that dry stuff in that you want. But if you don't put it in the water, it's never going to be a cake. Because it's the water, as insignificant as it seems, that binds them all together. And so Paul is saying something similar in relation to love. Not that love is insignificant like water. Well, water's not insignificant either, right? Really. But he's telling us that all of these virtues, all of these marvelous, spectacular, wonderful, edifying, encouraging qualities, that all of them are ultimately held together by love. And in the absence of love, 
Well, they all fly apart. In the absence of love, none of them are efficacious to the degree that they ought to be. So I want to talk to you, as I said, about love. Somebody once said that one of the most difficult subjects to preach is uh, love, and I agree. You, you might uh, think, well, that's a surprising statement to make. Why could love be something that's difficult to, uh, to preach? But you see, I want to explain. It's not difficult in the same way that some other things are difficult. For example, if this morning, you know, I felt like, well, the Lord wants me to talk to you about theodicy. Anybody even know what theodicy is? It's one of those obscure theological terms. It, talks, it is a reference to the fact that and how is it or it addresses the question of evil in the world. That's what theodicy is. Or this morning, maybe the topic could be something like apophatic theology. Well, that's an even more obscure one because it isn't even part of a Western tradition. Or, or liberation theology, or theosis, or deification. These are all terms that are issues in theology. The thing is, uh, they're all very difficult. But they're difficult in this way. They're difficult uh, in that they're um, deep. They're difficult in that they're nuanced, and they're complicated, and they're difficult in that they're all controversial. But love is not difficult in that way. Love is difficult in terms of topics, if you will. Love is difficult because we've heard so much about it. For some of us, it's like, um, it's like burnt over ground. It's like an overworked field. And if you start talking about it, there are always some people say, oh, well, I've heard all, everybody knows about love. You read the Bible and you hear read about love. And you get preachers up there, they talk about love. And you hear it on TV and you get it in books. Love, 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 love. And what happens is that we kind of get mentally uh, bored in relation to some subjects and love is one of them. We maybe reach the point where we think, well, what, what more is there to hear? We've heard it all. How much more can be said about love in relation uh, to us as believers and in connection with others and connection with God. So what happens in some cases, we just get this same old, same old kind of attitude and we just slide our minds into neutral. We slide our hearts into neutral. And maybe we don't hear the way uh, we ought to hear. It's kind of like one of those cases where familiarity breeds a measure of contempt. You've heard that saying before, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. The things we know best, we respect the least. It happens with people. It happens with things that we use all the time. We just become so accustomed to them that we lose our sense of awe or wonder in relation to them. And I think sometimes love is one of those things. That there's a measure of contempt that's crept into our hearts because of the familiarity that, that we have with the theme, with the subject, with the topic of love. But the thing is, among Christians, love has to be a paramount concern. It's very clear through the length of the Word of God that it has to be a matter of the highest and a matter of the utmost importance, this, this, this issue of love. It has to be a primary, top-tier issue with us in our lives, this matter of love. That's a pretty, you know, to say that it's a paramount concern, a matter of highest and, most, uh, and utmost importance, and, and, and that it's a primary issue, and, and that's a large a large claim. And so it really needs to be justified from the pages of the Word of God. And so, and again, this is where people think, how many times are we going to hear these scriptures? Well, I want you to open your hearts, if you would, this morning to the, to the living power and influence of the Word of God. And let's let the, the Word and the Holy Spirit do something to challenge us this morning. When Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, what is the most important commandment? And he responds with the renowned 
greatest, we often say the great commandment, but it's really the greatest commandments. It's two commandments, in fact. And so he responds and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first, and it is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Straight from the heart, the mouth of Christ. Straight from the Lord's mouth. In answer to this very specific and narrow question, what is the most important commandment? Love. Love God and love your neighbor. In Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 10, uh, the Apostle Paul writes and he says this, Love must be sincere. Now, I've never talked to you about the word sincere. I love that word sincere. It's in, in, in Greek or Latin, it's sincerke. What, what used to happen, and, and, and this is nothing new, merchants used to be charlatans. Maybe there's still some mer- merchants who are charlatans. I don't know, but I, I suspect that human nature has never changed. And so what would happen is pottery merchants, they'd be selling their wares, so they're looking at them, and they notice, well, there's a crack in the pot. Well, you can't sell a cracked pot, right? But then if you throw it away, you lose inventory, and it costs you money. So what would happen is they would take wax and they would rub the wax with dirt into the crack of the pot so that you couldn't see the crack. And so sincerke really means without wax. Sincere, a literal translation of the word sincere means to be without wax. So there's nothing false or deceptive about us. And so Paul says that there needs to be love without wax in our lives. It needs to be sincere. It needs to be real. It needs to be genuine. He says, he goes on, he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and honor one another uh, above yourselves. Cling to one another in brotherly love. So Jesus says the greatest commandment is love your Love the Lord and love your neighbor. And Paul says, cling to one another uh, in love and let your love be absolutely sincere. And the Apostle John in his gospel records that Jesus said these words. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, you will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, you hear people say, I have heard them say many times over the year, uh, that you really can't know if a person is genuinely uh, saved. And I suppose at the end of the day, there's always going to be that person who can put on a show. But generally speaking, the Bible says there are any number of things that you can look at a person in a person's life to see whether or not they're genuine. Fruit of the Spirit is one of them, and love being one of the fruits of the Spirit, or the primary fruit of the Spirit, the one that binds them all together. Uh, then what Paul says, if you look at a person's life, or rather what Jesus says, if you look at a person's life and there is no love, then you have reason to question the legitimacy of their experience. On the other hand, it's our love that certifies and verifies who we are. And uh, here's the thing, that's John, right? Now those are the words of Christ recorded by John. But here's the interesting, I love this about John. So John is the guy who, who records these particular words of Christ. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I've loved you, you also love one another. By this you'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And then that same John in his first epistle, many years later, this is what he writes. First John, chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Brethren, I write a new commandment to you. He's coming right, right from the words of the Lord. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Here's the 
Here's what he's talking about. All that kind of backwards and forwards and shifting around. He who says he is the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Well, we can claim anything we want. But in the absence of love, Paul, or rather uh, John, iterating the thoughts of Jesus before him, John says, in the absence of love, then we have uh, to question the legitimacy of our experience. He who says he's in the light and hates his brothers in darkness until now, he who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. So that's John chapter 2. Then you get to John chapter 3, 1 John rather, 1 John chapter 2. Then you come to 1 John chapter 3, and he goes on and he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know we've passed from death to life. We know we've made the transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because we love one another. This uh, is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love, or not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth, love. So you got John chapter 2, and at length he talks about love, 1 John. And then you got 1 John chapter 3, and again, at length he talks about love. And then you come to 1 John chapter 4 and verses 20 through 21, and again, he talks about love. And he says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, here's the thing, right? First John is a short epistle. You know, as books of the Bible go, even in the New Testament, First John is a short epistle. And yet three times... And not just briefly, but at length, three times out of five chapters, John revisits the same thing to talk about love, love, love. So remember, he's the guy who recorded the words of Jesus when he said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Something lodged in John's spirit. Something lodged in his heart. And the Holy Spirit uses him to remind us of these words. So you, you get to that first exhortation relative to love in, in the second chapter. And wow, that's challenging and it's demanding and it's instructive and insightful. And then you get to the second chapter and you read it again. And you think, oh, wow, so this is important. And then you get to the third chapter and he's saying it again. And you begin to wonder, well, isn't this overkill, John? Isn't it sort of time to, to move on? Well, here's the thing. There are some things you can't overemphasize. There are some issues that you just can't push the envelope too far on. And love is one of them. Love is definitive of who we are as uh, believers. You see, John wants to make sure that we understand that, number one, love is not an optional virtue for believers. 
You can't go through life and think, well, I'll cultivate patience. You know, I'll go through life and I'll, I'll, I'll cultivate um, humility. And say to yourself, well, in that I've invested myself in humility and in patience, well, then there, I've got these two things mastered. Those are the things that represent who I am before the Lord. But according to John and what he says here, love is never an optional virtue. It's something that has to be in our lives and defines us. John wants us to understand that uh, love uh, is the distinguishing mark of the church in the world. What makes us different from the kinsmen or any number of very valuable and and, uh, helpful service groups in the world? The church, above all other things, is defined by its understanding of God's love to us, uh, rather to us through Jesus Christ who died on the cross, and then the love of God that manifests itself through us in a continual way. John wants us to understand uh, that the love that we demonstrate is what certifies us. It's what certifies us. It's what certifies and establishes the credibility of the message that we proclaim. When the world sees love, then they believe uh, that there's something, there's substance to what we're preaching, to what we're saying. Uh, And he wants us to understand that nothing gives us a ring of sincerity or leaves us without wax like love does. And he wants us to understand that the true measure of whether we do or do not love God the true measure of that or the true indication of the veracity of it is shown in how well we love others. In the fourth century, there was a church, for an early church father's name was Jerome. <clears throat> I'll finish with this couple of things and then I'll let you go and go on from tonight. But in the fourth century, there was an early church father named Jerome. And Jerome, in his commentary on Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, he writes about John, the same John that we've been talking about. The same John who records the words of the Lord that I give you a new commandment. The same John who was hung up on love. And the thing about John, right? John is the only of the 12 apostles. I mean, there's extra biblical tradition that supports this, not necessarily text from the Bible itself. But as far as everybody knows, as far as early history indicates, 11 of the 12 were martyred. John was not. Now, it isn't that John didn't suffer. John's the guy who got cast out on the Isle of Patmos and receives the revelation. John's the guy that they threw in a vat of boiling oil to try and kill him, but he survives. So John lives to be old. So the story goes, according to Jerome, when he writes his commentary, so this is back in the fourth century, and the story goes that when John was an old man, so he's in his dotage, and the story goes that every Sunday they would carry him to worship couldn't walk anymore. And they would bring this old, old, feeble man into the church, and they'd set him down, and they'd have worship. And then at the end of every service, they would, after all, he's an apostle, right? So they thought, well, we ought to hear from John. So at the end of every service, they would ask John to get up and say something. And every time John got up, he would say, little children love one another. Sunday after Sunday. Get John up again. I mean, well, you can't not get him up. He's John the Apostle. Little children love one another. Until finally, some of the believers started to get a little bit annoyed. And they go to... Now, I understand this is an expansion. I'm using... Not, this is the fourth century, right? And so I'm not putting it to you the way that Jerome maybe wrote it, but th- this is the gist of the story. So the disciples go to him and they say, Come on now, John. I mean, you're an apostle. You've had vast experience in this life of a believer. Indeed, you're a foundation stone. Jesus is the cornerstone, and you're one of the twelve on top of that. So, John, you've got to have something else to say. 
Why, over and over and over and over again, is it little children love one another? Now, I'm going to, get, I want to quote it. And this was John's answer. And I quote, Because it is the Lord's commandment, and if this commandment only is kept, it is enough. When Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? And he said, love God and love your neighbor. Anybody remember what the following words were? What the next words were? He said, on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. He said, love, loving God and loving people, they are the summation of every expectation that God has of us. That makes love really, really important. We can do without a lot of things. We can make mistakes in a lot of areas. But you've got to ask yourself, can we afford to be loveless? How are you known in the community? According to John and according to Jesus, the thing we should be known for is love. How are you known in the community? Do people know you for your theological soundness, your doctrinal integrity? Or, or maybe people, uh, when they speak about you, they talk about the fact that you're a good teacher or that you're a great singer or an effective preacher or you do really good with children. Or maybe uh, when, when, when people refer to you, you've got a reputation for being a conservative who holds to a certain standard. Or maybe you're memorable because you're involved in the community. Or maybe people know you for your gifts. Maybe people know you as a, you know, a talented craftsman or someone who has uncommon wisdom. Maybe people talk about you because you're somebody who's experienced the power of God. But do people talk about you because you have love? All those other things are good. All those other things are arguably part and parcel of love one way or another. But if all you're known for is one of those things, but, and, and if, when people think of you, they don't think of you. That's somebody who loves then we are communicating a wrong message. Something isn't going out there. If we're known for all of these things, but people don't say, we know you for love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Empty, pointless, annoying noise. If I don't have love, that's what I am. Empty, pointless, annoying noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can throw mountains into the sea, whoa, that's cool. But I have not love. I am nothing. All that other stuff. Theologically sound, talented, gifted, great singer, great speaker, great teacher, great with kids, and on and on. But if people do not see love from my life, I'm nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. All of that stuff without love. I'm going to tell you this story. I want you to, I'm going to pre- premise it, or preface it with this remark. I do not have a particular place in my heart for Bill Clinton. All right? Not my favorite character in history. I'm going to tell you this story, though. Anybody know the name Philip Yancey? Philip Yancey is a, is a, is a well-known Christian author. And there was an occasion when Yancey, along with uh, a number of other people, was invited to the White House to meet with Bill Clinton. And uh, while uh, Clinton was speaking with them, he made this remark. I've been in politics long enough to expect criticism and hostility, but I was unprepared for the hatred that I got from Christians. Whoa. I was unprepared for the hatred that I... Now, I'll grant you he was not a great guy. And, and we're, not, we're not talking about disagreeing with him. 
It's fine to disagree with him. He did a lot of reprehensible things. But we are never at liberty to hate. Never. And yet, so often, you got to look at the church sometimes and you got to say, where's the love? I don't do Facebook. Paula reason. And I, it isn't because I got it you know, principled in any way in relation to Facebook. I just don't do Facebook because I have a hard enough time doing what I do without keeping up with all of that. But Paula reads to me things from Facebook all the time. Holy smokes. I have got to tell you, folks, where is the love? People on there get on and they're spitting and spewing hate and invectives and in the name of Jesus. That is just ridiculous. I'm not preaching about Facebook. What I'm talking to you is where's the love? We have to be people who are known by our love. I'm going to stop there. I'm already taking 11 of your minutes. So, Father, we live in an age. Well, the truth is, Lord, in this, these, ever since the beginning of time, since Cain murdered Abel, we've had issues with love. And Father, when we come to you, they're supposed to be a corrective in our hearts, and we are supposed to be the embodiment of the exact opposite. Where the world is so full of hate and self-service, and it just can be so cruel and mean and miserable. Father, we're supposed to be an absolute diametric reversal of that thing. A cultural conundrum because we embody love. Lord, it's a challenge for sure because our old fallen nature is so potentially loveless. Lord, we want the power of your Holy Spirit working in us so that we are people who are full of love. And Lord, folks begin to see it and they're impacted by it. Lord, Bless each one, Lord, that's here this morning, and and thank you for them, and lay your hand of grace and, and encouragement and help and hope and blessing and healing and deliverance, and Lord, all that you can do, do, Lord, for each and every one gathered here, and be with us as we separate and, and go our ways for the afternoon, and bring us back to this place uh, to enjoy your presence and, and the move of your Holy Spirit this evening, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you're able to learn something new from that message. God's Word is often funny like that. You can hear and understand a concept for years, but you go through it again and you pick out something new and something you can apply to your daily life. If you joined us late or just want to listen to this message again, you can do that on our website. Go to cviewfullgospel.com and click on the podcast link to view our archives or subscribe to receive new episodes on your phone or tablet automatically every week. We also appreciate it when you share this radio program or our podcast link with friends and help them discover us and hopefully also discover Christ through the program. Have a great week and remember Christ is the answer.